0: It really is buyer beware. Look, keep an eye out for mistakes. You know, I cannot encourage you enough to just get a real estate agent. You don't do it. You could wind up in big, big trouble.
1: I think you and I can talk about legal mistakes for days.
0: Yeah. And and those those happen all the time.
1: So welcome to the Urban Connect podcast. I'm Jennifer O'Shambo, the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled to having you be tuning in today. If you're here, chances are you're a prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll discuss a myriad of topics, providing you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sell, to insights on the latest market trends and everything in between I've got you covered. So sit back, relax. Get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. So in this episode, prospective property players, and what I mean by that is buyers, sellers, and homeowners are in for a real treat. Today, we will dish out some eye-opening insights into the most frequent and even some not-so-common legal blunders that happen during or even after a real estate transaction. Get ready for a dose of sage advice that will arm you with awareness to make shrewd decisions, shield your investments, and take a joy ride through the occasional bewildering legal maze of real estate. Strap in, it's going to be an eye-opening ride. So this leads me to today's guest, Walker MF Smith is a dedicated attorney with the Weaver Law Firm in Houston, Texas. Walker has a strong commitment to representing his clients In various legal matters with expertise spanning complex business litigation, real estate, and oil and gas issues, making him a valuable resource for individuals, small businesses, and large corporations alike. With a deep understanding that each client's situation is unique, Walker listens first, then tailors his approach to achieve his client's desired outcomes. As a third-generation attorney, Walker brings a legacy of hard work, dedication to his practice, he is known for his ability to find practical and cost-effective solutions for his clients, assuring that their legal matters receive the intention and respect they deserve. So, Walker, it's my pleasure to host you as a guest today in Urban Connect. So, welcome.
0: Thank you very much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to do this and looking forward to our talk today.
1: Yeah, so I'm really excited and you know, I know I've, I've hosted other legal um, guests before, um, so I know that there's probably a disclaimer you have to make yeah. um, before we get started.
0: Yeah, I just want to say, you know, this this is not being offered as legal advice. These are just basically discussions and talks about things that I've encountered in my experience with real estate law and transactional law yeah, if you do have an issue or a question or a concern, I, I strongly encourage you to contact a real estate attorney who can assist you with whatever may be going on. Because each issue is different, and you know everything's are very fact specific when it comes to this stuff. So, if you do have any issues, again, please contact an attorney.
1: And I will say this, and I'll say this later again. We will make sure that your information, Walker, is at the you know published in the show notes. So, if someone listens and is like, oh, I've had a problem and wants to reach out to you, they can at the end. So, okay, so let's get started. I think, you know, we can talk about, I think you and I can talk about legal mistakes for days in real estate because they span the gamut of during the transaction, whether it's the buyer or seller side, after the transaction, homeowner side, you know, in kind of everywhere in between. So let's start with our buyer legal mistakes. What do you think your biggest like blunder mistake happens with real estate that you get the most clients from? Like, what is your biggest buyer mistake legally?
0: So I think in, in general, the biggest buyer mistake that we see is a failure to perform due diligence. When you're buying a property, each property is very, very unique, you know, and so it's very important that you go in there with full knowledge and understanding of what, what you're buying, what you're purchasing. You know, a lot of the times this is the largest purchase or one of the largest, most important investments you're going to make, you know, throughout your life. So it's, it's good to perform due diligence, you know, perform inspections, really get in there and understand what it is that you're purchasing. A lot of the times we have clients who, you know, don't take it as seriously as they need to. They end up missing things and then later find out that what they intended to do on that property they're not able to do for one reason or another right and a lot of that stems from just failing to go through and and see you know what burdens what restrictions encumbrances are associated with each and every property.
1: So let's talk through that because I, I can agree with you I mean I've had a buyer say let's just t- take a scenario buy uh, houses on the market it was under contract, it fell through. as you know, if they the seller or the listing agent now has an inspection, they have to provide that to the next buyer. You know I've had buyers not perform their own due diligence after a house is on the market and take that previous buyer's inspection report and make decisions based on purchasing based on that.
0: And see, you know, properties things happen to them, they could change over time. There's a good chance that if you take an older inspection report,
1: it's Mm -hmm.
0: different than how the property actually is at that time, right? So, you know, very, very important not to rely on older things. It, It doesn't take a lot of time for a leak to spring up, you know, issues like that. So, you know, we strongly encourage people to do as much inspections due diligence as they can, you know, really get into the property, especially if there's a home, you know, building structure on the property and improvement, you want to make sure that you're fully aware of the state of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Like do more than you need to, you're saying.
0: And I would encourage that. I, Mm -hmm. you know, you may not need each and every inspection, but it really is buyer beware, right? Now the seller has duties to disclose that they, things that they know about the property to you, but it really falls on the buyer to do his due diligence you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, get in there and understand what it is that you're purchasing because you really would hate to spend all this time, money, only to find out that you you missed something earlier just because, you know, you wanted to either save a buck here or you thought it would take too long or, you know, those are the excuses that we typically hear is seller has disclosure duties of information that they're aware of with the property issues, past history and stuff like that. But, you know, they have to be aware of it and they may not be aware of everything. You know, think about it, a couple older couple who owns a house, when's the last time they had it inspected, right? They're not going to go through and get it inspected before they sell it. So it's Mm-mm. it's on the fire to go through and make sure that they they really get in there and understand what they're purchasing. I would say, for example, you know, being in Houston, a, a big thing that we have is, you know, we're, we're on a swamp where, you know, the foundations are constantly affected by the ground beneath them. A lot of people don't perform hydrostatic tests to test the plumbing underneath because of the cost of the test itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I they think they'll save some money there only to find out that, you know, once they purchase the property, there's numerous plumbing issues and leaks that could have been discovered through that inspection.
1: Or the seller won't allow it because they think it's going to hurt the plumbing system. And that is the wrong thing to fear. A proper hydrostatic tests should not impact your plumbing system, Period. If it's done properly with a reputable plumber. So that's my disclaimer as a realtor and from having um, an inspector on a previous episode. But but you're right. Talking about Houston, you know, I grew up north of Houston. There are homes and, you know, I'm in Austin now. Been in Austin since 97. Um, Austin is really conservative on development compared to the Houston area, compared to the North Montgomery County area, right? So there are areas in that Southern Montgomery County, North Harris County area that were not flood plain, they were flood way, right? And it's like, well, that's where they were supposed to flood. So they didn't flood the neighborhood, but now they're building houses there.
0: I mean, you know, so many people are moving here. they're They're mm-hmm. building houses everywhere, right? And so... You know, we see issues all the time where buyers aren't doing their due diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, they may be told by the seller, hey, it's in a floodplain. You know, basically the seller's telling them there's restrictions that apply to this property that limit what you can construct on that property. Buyers not paying attention will go forward, buy it, only to realize that they, you know, can't build a townhome there because it's in a floodplain and things like that. So, you know, you really got to pay attention to what's being disclosed to you, as well as be sure that you perform these inspections, do the proper research, especially if you have plans to make changes to a property. You know, another example is we'll see a person buy a lot next to their home thinking that they could build over both lots one giant home only to find out that, no, there's restrictions there. You can't do that, right? But by the time that they bought it, it's it's too late. So mm-hmm. they've already suffered harm just because they failed to perform their, their research and their due diligence.
1: We talked about doing your own due diligence, right? So let's talk about... the the last couple of years that were wonky where, you know, everybody was buying houses in the heat of the moment for hundreds of thousand dollars above list price, right? There wasn't enough inventory. People were, you know, scrambling, right? So some of those transactions were bought sight unseen, right? And sight unseen is different because in my opinion, there's two versions of sight unseen. There's sight unseen, and I'm still going to do inspection and I'm still going to do my due diligence afterwards. And then there's their sight and seeing I'm not going to do anything because I can't. Because if I ask for anybody's human being, you know, in the transaction, then, you know, they're going to say no and go down to the third buyer on the list. Right. So there's that. But when a buyer walks through a house and has visited in person, they see how old the AC is. They see the maintenance, the looming maintenance. Right. So there's a, I mean, the way our contracts are written in their state, there is a way for you to say, I want to buy this house and as is, is mostly, right? Can you have an opportunity to inspect? But if there's major issues, you saw them at the time you made your offer. So let's talk about sight unseen or making your offer and not really seeing these big issues. how did that come into play? I mean, are you seeing a lot of that? We're like, I didn't know this existed.
0: So we've seen it quite a bit, right? So the market was so competitive, people were putting in offers and they would do things like waive inspections, you know, to make their offer more appealing to the mm-hmm. seller, right? And then, you know, so when those things happen, yeah, a seller would love that, right? Because as we said before, if a seller receives an inspection, they need to disclose it to any subsequent purchasers, right? Or potential purchasers, things like that. So... We we did see quite a bit of people who made offers, you know, will waive inspections to make their offer more appealing. And then, you know, they get the house, come to find mm-hmm. out it's got all kinds of issues, you know, because they, they wanted the property that bad. You know, they thought they were willing to to take it as is, not understanding, hey, you know, about half the money you spend on this, you're going to have to spend again just to, to get it into a livable condition, right? And so, I mean, mm-hmm. that's how competitive the market was. And yeah, there's there's a a good chance that if you wanted inspections needed to do inspections that you would miss out on the sale of that that property. that's how competitive it was, but mm-hmm. I, you know
1: and we could get back to a market like that in a flash.
0: Oh yeah, but you know at the end of the day who's who's going to suffer for it? Yeah, you may have gotten the property, but you know you could mm-hmm. end up with a dog right or a lemon, so to speak, if you don't do your due diligence and we we have seen that quite a bit. you know these people come back angry, but you know it, it really falls on them. To, to make sure they know what they're buying.
1: No, true. Now, what other buyer mistakes happen? Or do you see?
0: I would say one of the biggest ones is buyers not... Okay, so when, when you enter into a contract to buy a home, there's deadlines, right? There's inspection deadlines, the option period, stuff like that. So a lot of times, people enter into these contracts and they don't pay attention to these deadlines. They don't schedule their inspections accordingly and things like that. So, you know... If you try and cancel this contract outside of that window, there's not, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to lose either the earnest money or you may be too late to actually cancel it. So buyers really need to pay close attention to the deadlines that are in these contracts, make sure that they perform their due diligence and proper inspections within these time periods, you know, because mm-hmm. there are real repercussions for failing to do so. You know, we've seen earnest money anywhere between $1,000 up to $50,000 or higher. And, you know, if you miss that that option and want to cancel it, you know, you're losing that money. You are.
1: You are. So let's talk about that. You know, there's a slew of contingencies and deadlines, right? And that's what you're talking about in a contract. And some of them go up to three days before closing or at closing, right? Depending on the contract that's written, right? So... Let's talk about someone who has missed has missed deadlines and is now trying to use another excuse to get the contract. Let's say they lied. Let's say buyers lying about the reason why they're closing, or they're not closing. They went out of the contract. They're terminating. they want their earnest money back. But they're using, let's say, property condition because it goes up to three days before cl- closing. So you know, of course, it's going to make the seller unhappy when that happens because they know nothing's wrong because there's been nothing ever addressed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would I would say there needs to be valid valid excuses. Mm-hmm. You can't just come up with things to try and get out of the contract. You know, it's a, it's a breach of contract, right? And, you know, there, there's liability there associated with mm-hmm. that. Lawsuits could easily happen. You know, because these are valid binding contracts. And, you know, that right there could be viewed as a breach. You know, you're failing to go forward. You do not have a valid legal excuse mm-hmm. to get out of that contract. You could be held in breach. And, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, remedies usually available is specific performance, which means that, you know, the other party could sue you to move forward with the sale, you know, with the purchase, things like that. So it's, it's really, really important to pay attention to these deadlines and to make sure that you really understand what is happening with your contract. So, you know, whether you, you are represented by a real estate agent, which I would highly recommend, or if, you know, you're unsure about something, you're, you're, you're representing yourself in that sale, I would encourage you to seek advice of an expert, whether that be a real estate agent, a broker, or a real estate attorney, to make sure that you're well aware of your duties and obligations under these contracts, because these issues do arise, people do sue for these things. And, you know, it's it's just a situation that no one should be in.
1: So I'm going to say, yes, everybody, every human being buying or selling a property should hire somebody. Nobody should do it on their own. And the reasons for that, I don't care if you sold 50 houses or two houses. It does not matter. Every transaction is different. Times change, development changes your area has changed. Your market has changed. Like there's so many moving parts to a real estate transaction. That's what your realtor should be there doing is making sure they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And if you don't have that layer, then you're probably going to make a mistake or not disclose properly.
0: Yeah. And and those those happen all the time.
1: Let me do this. Do you have anything on your list that talks about title, title insurance or HOA?
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. We can talk talk about all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I assume that's one of the biggest, I mean, one of the, other than failure to disclose or failure to do inspections, title insurance and HOA probably is a strong second.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, they're probably neck and neck. You know, people, people when they're buying a home, You know, they like to save money or feel like they're saving money, right? And so when you're purchasing, say, a title policy, for example, there's different clauses and things like that. There's different policies that you can purchase, right? And, you know, you can say for in Texas, for example, they have options to expand upon the title policy coverage, right? And, you know, people see that sometimes and think, well, I don't want to spend this extra money at this time. You know, we're talking 150 100 bucks to make sure that your policy covers broader issues, such as boundary issues and survey issues and things like yeah. that. You know, you have to select certain boxes in the contract for these things to apply. And simply, you know, glossing over it, missing it, or just not wanting to pay the extra money to have that extra coverage can really come back to bite you. Because, you know, a lot of times people rely on older surveys or things like that. that that carry mistakes forward in them. And then later, as a problem arises, you know, failure to have a proper title policy could leave the the purchaser paying for all that moving forward when they Mm -hmm. easily could have prevented this by having the proper title coverage. So that's why it's important to have a real estate agent or an expert explain these things to you because, you know, you may not be aware of what everything in that contract
1: means. Things you learn when you become a realtor, right? You have to take so so much education, you go through classes, right? And we talk a lot about surveys the surveys could derail things down the line. And we'll talk about that later, right? So, but there's two theories. So the first theory is every time you sell a house, you get a new survey. You never take the old, the older survey, even if it was a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago. And the, the theory is if a fence was changed, you have no assurance that the fence got put up exactly in the same spot and that changed your boundary. Number one, like you said, you don't know if the surveyor missed a setback or an easement or I had that happen several years ago. I listed a property and on the survey, the 40 foot setback was never on a survey, not even listed. It was listed in the title commitment, but it was never listed on the survey. So there's that, right? But... I've heard. I don't know for this to be truthful, but the survey, as it's printed, stamped, and signed, is only good if that surveyor's in business and still alive. Because they've said that they're the ones who have the authority to say, "Yep, that's right." If they're not in business or not alive, they can't do that. So you have no validation that your stuff is good. Your mortgage company, your, t- your title company, says it was good, but they're not the authority. So the theory in a lot of marketplaces is just get a new survey. It's 500 something dollars. Most people can afford $500 in a real estate transaction. If they don't, they surely shouldn't be buying a house.
0: I, I agree completely. It's very important to know what you're buying or what you own, right? And that's what these surveys do. They lay out the boundaries. This is the property, right? And So if you have a bad one or if you have an old one, you know, really may not be good anymore. So it is, you know, it's always good to have a, a more recent one, especially, you know, before sale, after sale, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to encourage everyone to have one before they purchase the property almost every time, just mm-hmm. because you need to know what you're buying, right?
1: right you, know, exactly. you don't want to
0: find out later that you're, you're going to get into a, a fight. And we see this all the time, a fight with a neighbor over, you know, two feet or less of property. We see it all the time because people don't do their due diligence. They don't get the surveys or they rely on these outdated surveys. And I can't tell you how many times we see surveys that are, that are you know, on the face, it looks like nothing's wrong with them. They're just old, but they, you know, turn out to be wrong in some form or fashion.
1: Well, I will say this after being in real estate more, almost 15 years and being in mortgage 10 years prior to that, your agent should know how, should know how to read a survey and compare that survey with the field notes that are in the title commitment. And if they can't, they're not your agent. I mean, I have spotted so many issues out of the gate before even making the offer, and I knew not to allow my client to get the survey.
0: Surveys Thanks. and then closing documents are where we see the most mistakes—just mm-hmm. you know, typos, things like that. But those things matter, yeah. right? Because if they, if there are typos, if there are mistakes, and, and say the legal description meets and bounds things like that, they need to be corrected, right? And, and you know that could take time; ty- it could be a real pain in the butt. So you just want to make sure that you you hit that stuff get it correct at the beginning.
1: No, HOA documents are pain in our backside.
0: HOAs. You have very, very many opinions about HOA. Well,
1: the good thing is I, I never would say it's a good thing. Well, I would say, depending on the state, it's good for the state to get involved because need they need to have some regulation, right? But there is some regulation kind of coming of what they need to do and what they can charge. And that's all good, right? And that's not the our ten of our conversation. But HOA documents are so lengthy. I, I mean, I think I've had two clients in my whole entire career it's read top to bottom and, and didn't tell me that they were ready to move forward until they read it. It could be a thousand pages.
0: And I, I would say oftentimes they are. They're very, very lengthy. The biggest problems we see is we you know, and it kind of falls back to the due diligence. We always see people come to us, say, I bought this property and I had no idea that it was subject to an HOA or that an HOA had authority over it. Well, I mean, according to these documents, this information was disclosed to you. It was made known Mm -hmm. to you. So it it falls on you to be aware of that, right? The biggest issue is, is that there's these deed restrictions that these HOAs enforce against these properties and they require certain things like they require HOA approval prior to making a modification or a change to the property. I can't tell you how many cases we see where a client comes in. I built, you know, say a garage. I got this domain letter from the HOA telling me I need to tear it down because these HOAs require HOA approval prior to people going through building these things, making mm-hmm. changes, modifications to their properties. People aren't aware of this, they didn't review the HOA documents, so they're not sure what their duties and obligations are to the HOA. So many people just say, well, I paid the HOA, that's all I'm supposed to do. No, that's not all you're supposed to do. You need to read these documents and make sure, because a lot of times there's architectural control committees, there's things put in place that very specifically limit what you can and cannot do on your property, right? And HOAs have a lot of power. If you fail to pay your HOA assessments, they can foreclose and take your home. You know, even if it is your homestead in Texas. So it's it's very, very important to be aware, number one, whether or not your property is in or subject to an HOA. And number two, you need to be familiar with the rules and restrictions that the HOA has in place for your property. That is probably the biggest pitfall that we see is HOAs are abundant. They have a lot of power. And you do not want to be in a lawsuit with your HOA. It's mm-hmm. no expensive. They have a lot of power. The board has a lot of protections in place through Texas law. It's it's just not, not a good business. So I would encourage you before you, you know, go through, make modifications, changes before you build that new garage, make sure that, you know, your HOA doesn't have something that requires you to get approval from them first or something of that
1: sort. So rewind, sold a house, Austin, in the center of the city. Just south of Zilker Park, so in the historic part of the city, right? House built what, 1940s. Not an HOA today, but there was an HOA when the house was built. In the deed restrictions, it never got disbanded. So the HOA put a 40 foot setback on the back side of the the property line. It wasn't on the survey, right? The only reason we found that setback is we realized there was this old HOA from like the 1950s or 60s that never got disbanded. Nobody was collecting for it, but it was still on file with the city. The only, there was no, the only way to get rid of that was to go to every property owner and get a super majority to vote that out. So this particular seller was selling to an investor who was going to clear level the house and build upward and then had to pivot because they couldn't build they couldn't build back 40 you know feet of their property which was why they wanted to buy the property but you know we didn't know it was like buried right so that's a lot of disclosure that you get as a buyer to to, to have you seen stuff like that
0: oh yeah
1: and my other question is voluntary versus mandatory HOA voluntary won't really collect a lot of money, but let's talk about their power. Do they have equal power?
0: So it, it really depends on where they gain their power from, because I've seen some really powerful volun- volunteer ones mm-hmm. that, you know, file lawsuits, try and foreclose things like that. I mean, they treat it just like a a normal one. And, you know, there was a time probably in the past where, you know, the Prior property owner of your property had an opportunity to opt in or opt out of the HOA. And, you know, unless they opted out, they could be in it. Right. And mm-hmm. they found your property to it. And yeah, these documents may be old and they may not be being enforced as they should be. Or, you know. But the city mold. still
1: enforces them.
0: Exactly. Right. And there's usually authority granted to, uh, to other people in the neighborhood to enforce them. Things like that. Like your neighbors can often enforce them. So, you just need to pay attention and make sure that you read all this stuff. And, you know, if it's too much for you to read, again, I encourage you to, to retain an expert, a, a real estate agent or an attorney who can go over these things and, and you know, read them word for word and then yeah, yeah.
1: digest them and <laughs> give you back in kindergarten. I call it kindergarten terms.
0: <laughs> it works because it you need to be aware. You don't want to be in a situation where you get sued by an HOA that you never knew existed. We see that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it came down to just not reading these documents, not understanding what was being told. You know, in these contracts, though, that usually is a place that says this property is or is not in an HOA, depending on which box is checked. But, you know, that's not always reliable either, right? Just because sellers sometimes aren't aware. But, you know, it's yeah, just, you yeah. go through all those documents, all those records.
1: Exactly. It
0: all falls back to that due diligence.
1: Is there anything on your list for buyers before we pivot to seller?
0: You know, I would encourage. Uh, buyers to seek expert assistance. You know whether you, you think you can handle it on your own or not. You know every sale different. There's lots of things that could pop up. There's lots of documents, deadlines, the the like. So I would always recommend that if you're buying a property, you either obtain a real estate agent or you you know consult with an attorney at length. And you know I would encourage you to read those documents, to read the HOA documents, the closing documents. Look keep an eye out for mistakes because mistakes Mm -hmm. are made all the time. You know, people who make these documents are human and, you know, it's a pain in the butt to have to go and try to fix some of this stuff later. So just make sure that you, you take care of it on the front end when you, when you purchase that property. And, you know, I cannot encourage you enough to just get a real estate agent, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: can you give a ballpark? And again, it's going to, you know, ebb and flow depending on who you're hiring. Right. But Can you give a ballpark, if someone wanted to hire a real estate attorney to just look at title commitment, HOA docs, like just do a really glance over and give you the issues or understand what you're looking for, what would someone pay for that generally?
0: So, you know, it it depends upon the attorney, you know, you're probably starting somewhere around 200 something dollars and then Mm -hmm. all the way up to to several thousand dollars, depending Mm -hmm. on the documents and the
1: Mm -hmm. issues
0: at hand, you know. I would say for the most part on a, on a simple, straightforward sale, it'll take the attorney, you know, an hour and a half to review these documents and consult you on them. Sometimes it takes longer. It really depends. You know, obviously, if you get a, a property that's got thousand page HOA stuff, you know, a good it's attorney- It's going to take you longer.
1: You're going to pay more.
0: Yeah, yeah you're going to pay more. So it really depends upon, you know, what's associated. I guess what
1: I'm trying to get at is it's pennies on dollar comparison oh. to what you're buying your house for. So spend the extra
0: money. You know, the the money that you're spending now is to save the money that you could spend later that's brought up in a legal issue, right? So it's just better to be aware of that now, save yourself the headache and save yourself the money because I know the money, you know, money now seems important. You want to save it while you can, but you're right when you say if you're buying a house, you probably shouldn't be worried about $500 and $150 Mm -mm. and things like that because this stuff, you know lawsuits can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars right and yes
1: they can they can you
0: do not want to have to deal with that if, if if this is a problem that could have been avoided quite simply through you know due diligence and and hiring somebody for you know a couple grand at the beginning
1: i agree with that um don't skimp at all ever no
0: it's, it's not worth it this is an important thing you're doing a big investment you know whether you own 60 properties or one These are large purchases, These are investments. There's a lot of liability associated with property and with the disclosures of information. So that's true. This is, it's very serious. And I know a lot of people, you know, get excited about it and you should be excited properties. It's very exciting to own property to purchase property. Mm So stuff, but you know, you need to take it seriously.
1: You do because the first time you make a mistake and you're paying for that mistake later because you made the mistake. It won't be very exciting the next time to be buying property. No. And you would have wished that you would have hired that attorney and spent that 300, 400 bucks, whatever it would cost to do it. And I would just say, for me, I try to reduce risk at all possible because I don't want to be in a lawsuit with anybody ever. And I would encourage you just to pay someone to review those documents up front and take that off your plate because you have to think about inspections and negotiations like you have to think about insurance you have to think about all this other stuff in your transaction you don't need to be sitting at night doing homework reading documents that you don't understand to begin with
0: yeah and that's another thing is is you don't need to take on these burdens on your own right if you if you have the help of a real estate agent you know they're there to help you and attorneys mm -hmm. help you you know use them lean on them rely on them Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you're paying attention to what they tell you because a lot of times you know we we've got stuff where the realtor was very straightforward but the buyer for whatever reason wasn't paying attention or the client wasn't paying attention and you know i understand, understand that a lot of people feel like well i hired the real estate agent to handle it which is well yeah but at the same time you're the one who makes the decision
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the principal in the transaction they're not exactly yeah. so
0: it really falls on you
1: Yeah. You hire them to help you make the decisions. It was your job to make the decision is what I tell everybody. So sellers, I think one of your topics is probably going to be disclosure or lack of disclosure.
0: Number one, it's the biggest liability for sellers. It's the biggest issue that we see all the time. So as a seller of property in the state of Texas, there is a list of information you are required to disclose that goes through the history of the property, you know, defects, changes. Did you get a new roof? You know, things like that.
1: And the Texas Property Code lays that out, right?
0: That's right. And, you know, there's there's different requirements for, say, a a residential property with a home on it compared to like a vacant lot, right? Mm-hmm. That, you Because know, obviously you don't have to disclose issues with an improvement on a vacant lot, right? So it's a less of a burden. But for whatever reason, we constantly get sellers who withhold information and mm-hmm. that creates the biggest possible liability for a seller because if you fail to disclose the required information you are to disclose, you are liable for it, right? So say you're well aware of a foundation issue, but you lay down a rug to cover up the damage to the floor, you know, things like that. And then you don't you don't fill out the disclosure form properly acknowledging your knowledge of the foundation issues, right? Or the foundation mm-hmm. work that you've had done. And a buyer relies on that, you're you're in trouble. You know all they have to do is show that you had knowledge of it and failed to disclose it. And yeah, these these cases are not necessarily simple for a buyer to win, but th- these are big time lawsuits very expensive that you don't want to find yourself in. So you know in all honesty, it's it's probably better to overshare your knowledge of the property than to to undershare because that creates liability. You have a duty to disclose the, the issues and defects that you have knowledge of for this property. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, you could wind up in big, big trouble.
1: You could. She talked about disclosure. So it's, again, the Texas Property Code outlines what has to be disclosed at a minimum, right? And our state seller's disclosure discloses just that. They don't go any beyond that. It's what they're required by the state. That's what we're going to do. The Texas Association of Realtors and the local associations have come up with their own forms and they put extra questions in thinking we'll just we'll disclose more, Right. But that gets people in hot water, too, because, for instance, like there's two uh, I can I'm naming the one on the state form. One is like asking if you had a flood and then there's another question. Can't remember what topic right now. But if you say, yes, I've had a flood. Now you have to go create a different disclosure. And a lot of people don't read that second line. So they have failed to disclose because they didn't give that additional disclosure. And that usually ends up in litigation later. Or it's an out in the contract later. I personally had this come up on a recent sale, and I, I, I was like, I don't know why they're saying this. So the agent, I'll start it off by saying the agent came to me that said we are going to terminate because your client failed to disclose, and I was like, Oh no, they did, and here's why. And it was a situation where two story house, two ACs, one was. Vintage, same as uh, same age as the house, 25 years old. One was newer, right? We did a, a write-up to show what was replaced, what wasn't. Again, the, pro- the buyer visited the property multiple times, saw both units with their visual eye. One unit brand new, one unit very old with the date stamp on the side, right? Anyway, so long story short, we get under contract. While we're under contract, I tell my client, oh, wait, 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 you didn't have your AC and um, serviced. You should have it serviced and have anything fixed. So when we get their inspection, that you can say, nope, we're good because we just had it serviced. So my client... Failed to do that. She finally did it, but she did it after they had it inspected. Anyway, long story short, they're like, well, you didn't present this to us up front or she she didn't give me the document until after they inspected. Like you didn't give this to us up front. And I'm like, but wait a minute. Everything that was on the inspection report based on condition is everything that's on this and a service receipt. And now you're trying to say that We failed to disclose. No, we didn't. We're telling you exactly what you learned in your inspection and what you saw with your naked eye. There's an old unit. It's going to be performing at 60 percent. It's old anyway. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is it could be that easy for someone to say you didn't disclose when we did. We told them one was old, one was new. And their their own inspector said the same thing that the HVAC company said, nothing any different. So I counter, I I, I combated their you know, issues. I was like, nope, we're not doing that. You can terminate if you want to, you can litigate if you want to, have at it, right? But but most people won't do that. They get scared.
0: Just because you know something's obvious or something can re- be revealed in the inspection doesn't forgive the seller's duty to disclosure. True. You know, just make sure that your disclosures are in writing, right? Fill out that form completely when you do the contract. Mm
1: -hmm. Fill it out
0: as much as you can, as honest as you can. You know, if you're not aware of something, then obviously you can't put that on the form, but put put everything that you have knowledge of because if it's there in writing, they can't come back later and try to say, no, you didn't tell me about this. You know, it's there. Right. They're in writing. They can see it. But yeah, you you see that stuff all the time. You see sellers disclose stuff and then buyers try to say it wasn't disclosed and, you know, Obviously, that's a non-issue, but when you see sellers actually not disclose it, I mean, those are very real. Those are very serious.
1: I know there's only one person that does not have to fill out that disclosure form, and that's an executor of an estate.
0: Right. So, there's a couple. I can't remember them off the top of well, my
1: head. Well, it's, it's a foreclosure. It's a bank. It's a executor, which, which most of us are dealing with the public, right? So, we're not dealing with the bank. The bank doesn't have to because they took it on. They know nothing, right? Yeah,
0: well, they know. They didn't live in the house. They didn't, you know. Right,
1: yeah. right. But I will say that in my experience, most executors are heirs. Yes. And if you're an heir, yeah. you have a duty to disclose. Yes. Because you probably know something about the property because mom or dad or aunt and uncle probably told you about it, but just because you're an executor doesn't trump you being an heir. So just disclose. It doesn't matter if you're executive or not. Disclose what you know.
0: Exactly. It's it's always safer. You don't want to create an avenue for liability, right? So even if you think you have an out, it's just better better to disclose, and it could avoid you know a sale breakdown later, you know, because you don't want to be accused of not disclosing. So it's just, it's just safer. It's just better for any seller to make sure that they disclose this information. But yeah, there are a few instances where it's, you know, legally you do not need to disclose and mm-hmm. those are very limited, very, very certain circumstances, right? If you're familiar with the property, I don't, you're, you're not going to get that, you know, protection yeah, of not.
1: If not- mom told you on the five o'clock phone call that the toilet overflowed, you know about the house.
0: Yeah, or your, your name signed on the receipt for the repairman who came and, you know, performed yeah, yeah. on the roof, right? I mean, you can't say you're not aware of these issues.
1: Or if you lived in the house for the first exactly, 20 years of your life.
0: A lot of these heirs, right, they're dealing with mom and dad's house. They mm-hmm. grew up in the house. Yes. they're aware of you know, mom got a new roof here, you know, there was foundation work here.
1: You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I went through that. I was an heir and executor and I lived in my childhood home for 18 years. Yeah, so. Um, okay, sellers more like what are some big common missteps
0: so another another thing that we may or that we do see a lot and this is bad and you know maybe maybe it doesn't happen that much out there in the world, but we seem to see it a lot and that's where a sale basically a seller will list their property, enter it into a contract, and then decide they don't want to sell it. Yeah, it, it, they, I don't know why this happens. Look, if you're going to sell a property, be sure you want to sell it first before you do something like either put it on the market or enter into a contract to sell it. Because, you know, you're going to be liable for breach of contract in mm-hmm. most most instances, right? And I can't tell you, we have seen issues where a seller will go under contract, basically ignore the buyer, and then the day before closing say, I'm not selling it. You know, I'm not coming to closing. And not show up to closing. Yeah, it's and it's insane. You know, what what are you doing? Be be certain you want to sell a property before you enter into any contract to sell it, before you put it on the market, before you do anything like that. Because, you know, yanking the rug out at the last second is just gonna create problems for yourself.
1: There's only one out for the seller in the contract, and that is if earnest money was not delivered timely.
0: You know, almost all the instances where this, this issue is brought in, that's not what happened. The seller's like, I just don't want to sell it. Or mm-hmm. I don't want to sell it to this person. I believe I can sell it for a higher price. Well,
1: mm-hmm. you're under contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I'm these, sorry.
1: No. Yeah. These
0: that, were decisions that you you willingly entered into. You know, and these these later circumstances aren't going to, you know, be a legal excuse to get out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, some agents use the what's called a walkthrough and acceptance form. So they have the buyer do the walkthrough and accept the property at the time they, you know, they're buying it or walking through it. Is that document doing anything for the seller in a legal standpoint and saying, yes, I, because it says, yes, I did perform an inspection. Yes, I accept the property. Or does it give up any buyer rights by selling it?
0: So it may, it depends upon the language in it itself, but you know, really what it does is it kind of I would say shields the seller, right? Cause you got the buyer's signature on document saying that I, I, I approved it essentially. Right. right. And you know, obviously depending on the terms and the circumstances, maybe it's enforceable, maybe it's not, but I would say, you know, don't sign something like that unless, unless you agree to what it's saying.
1: Right. Right. You,
0: know, you don't cause we see this a lot, you know, where people go through like new construction homes and the builder gives them this form. Hey, you're doing the final walkthrough. And you know, the stuff isn't fixed yet, but the buyer goes ahead and signs it, believing the builder's going to repair it before closing. And, you know, that doesn't happen. And then the buyer's kind of left there. Well, I did this. And then the the seller says, well, I have this form saying you approve it. You know, you did your walkthrough. And that it just creates a hard spot for a buyer. And, you know, it can easily lead to a a legal battle that you you don't want to be in. So, you know, I would say avoid signing anything, approving something, unless you're actually approving it, right? If there's still... Outstanding work to be completed or, or modifications and repairs to be made prior to closing. You know, don't sign anything like that until this stuff is is done and complete.
1: Well, this form, I love it. It's my it's the most beautiful form, the most sexy form in our arsenal <laughs> for my sellers. But it says, you know, was the, there's a couple categories, inspections, reinspections, service contracts, walkthrough before closing, sight and scene, and acceptance. So it's like, did you inspect or not? Yes or no? Check the box. Did you reinspect after everything was done, or did you not? Did you get a warranty, or did you not? Did you walk through before closing, and when did you do it, or did you choose not to? And did you buy a site unseen, or did you not? So I think that takes a lot out of the buyer's hands when they sign something like that.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, if you're on the seller's side, that's that's great. You, know, that, that's yeah. great, seller. Yeah.
1: But I guess from a buyer standpoint, unless the seller failed to disclose, it was probably, I would probably leave, you know, if they found something out later. Right. But the thing else is, I think failure to disclose is kind of really hard to, to prove because you did have an inspection.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, sometimes people get bad inspectors, but a lot of these times these inspector contracts, so say you hire an inspector, these inspector contracts say that, you know, anything missing the inspection or any lawsuit arising on this, you know, your damages are limited to what you paid for the inspection, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's important if you do hire an inspector, make sure that you're, you read your agreement with them thoroughly because if they mess up, you know, you may be severely limited in what you can seek to recover from them. But yeah, so that form you were talking about, I mean, if you're a buyer, you know, you want to sign that when it's when you're ready to. But as a seller, that mm-hmm. puts you in a great position to say that, you know, they signed it, they agreed to it. This is a valid document, right? So
1: Right. So um, new construction is a very different beast. They write their own contracts. And we'll go back to that in a second. But they write their own contracts. Also... If you're not building from scratch, you're not pouring that slab and you don't have the opportunity to do inspections along the way at plumbing and, you know, and the rough end for the plumbing or the electrical, it's really hard to get behind those walls. I mean, yes, your your inspector can see past all of that. They have the technology in their arsenal to do that. But what builders are saying now or on site representatives saying now is, well, you're not going to be able to do those extra ones. So what's the point of you coming in now? Because, you know, we can fix it now, but we probably won't because in 10 months, you can do an inspection. We have the first year and you're going to come back in 12 months and to fix everything. So just wait.
0: So, you know, we often get promises from new construction builders. Hey, yeah, do this walkthrough before closing. Let's close and then we'll finish all the rest of the stuff. But, you know, they'll Once closing happens, they they usually wash their hands of it and and get out of there, right? And then it's a real big pain in the butt to try and get them to come back to make the repairs and and modifications that, you know, you expected before closing. It it can be very, very difficult.
1: I mentioned new home contracts. They're not your typical contract.
0: No, they are for the, the builder's benefit, right? And usually they contain things like arbitration clauses, right? So mm-hmm. if you do have a legal dispute, you lo- You basically waive your right to sue them and you're left to, to face them in arbitration should you need to have a legal fight. And you know, arbitrations tend to favor these builders, right, that's why they'd rather do that. That's why they'd rather arbitrate than go to trial is just because it gives them a slight advantage. And you know, arbitration's binding, right? So whatever an arbitrator rules, the parties are bound by so it really favors the builder. These contracts are made by builders for their benefits, and you know, most of the time, if you try to make a change to these contracts, they're just not going to sell you the house. That's you true. Know? So, yeah, you agree to their contract or you don't get the house,
1: yeah. So, and their contracts can have escalation clauses in them if uh, building costs soar. They can have they can cancel at any time. You have to read and understand a new home contract every single page because. When you're in that model home signing off, either know, electronically or you're not doing paper anymore, you're signing electronically. I encourage every buyer to get a PDF copy of what they're signing up front with the builder contract and read it the night before, before you sign it. And Put your money down as a hold. You'll get that money back. But you need, you're, you're absolutely
0: right. You read, you really need to ma- make yourself familiar with that contract. Read it all. And I know these new builder contracts, they're usually long, very long, much longer than your typical contract, right? And then, you know, part of me makes, makes me feel like they do it on purpose because they know that they're not going to read it, right? They know that a buyer mm-hmm. is going to sit there and read hundred plus pages of this stuff. And there's important information on each one of these pages. These builders usually give themselves all sorts of power, right? A lot of. A lot of contracts have it in there that, you know, cost of materials and labor's change. you know, so does the cost of the home at the end of the day, depending on what type of new construction it is. So you really need to be mindful of what it is you're signing and what you're agreeing to before you just go in there and, and kind of willy-nilly buy a property from a new builder. Because they, you know, they do things to limit their liability. They do things to, you know, delay additional services or future services and warranties, right? a lot of A lot of things we see is, Buyers come back to us after buying from a new construction home from a builder and, you know, hey, I'm having a hell of a time getting the builder back in here to do any work that's covered under the warranty. And, you know, builders will delay responding to you to let that warranty run out. So, you know, you need to be aggressive. Mm -hmm. You need to be assertive in dealing with these builders to get them back on site to make the repairs and things like that that are covered under the warranty. And if you need to hire an attorney to do it, I strongly encourage you to, because otherwise, you know, that that warranty will run out or something like that. And then you're left, you know, paying for that cost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need Poor. to be mindful of these
1: things. Better yet, do your inspections up front. <laughs> say, yes. Say, it's okay. I know that I won't be able to do those additional inspections, but I am going to inspect and hire an inspector that was a builder before. Because on their new home inspections, they're talking the builder lingo. So when they give their report, it's worded in such a way that those items are getting fixed. But for your new home inspection, don't hire your average resell um, real estate inspector. Hire someone that has had a hefty um, building uh, construction background. So they know what that builder wants to see because they need to word it right to get it done.
0: I would say being over-cautious is, is, is the way to do it just because there, is, there are so many pitfalls,
1: right? mm-hmm. There There's so many
0: things that you can either miss or not understand, right? And so you just wanna make sure you understand what's going on and builders kind of count on buyers being laymen when it comes to this stuff. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, new construction home builders are bad by any means, but I'm just saying we yeah. do see a lot of issues. We do see a lot of people who don't understand the builder's obligations to them, right? That's laid out in the contract. Correct. The last thing about sellers I would just say is, you know, I feel like a lot of sellers aren't necessarily aware of their duties to to buyers, you know, in particular, these duties to disclose this information. You know, it kind of seems like sometimes they can just kind of sit down and, well, I'll disclose this, but I won't disclose that. And that, you know, that's not how it is. So you just want to make sure that you're aware and that you're disclosing what you're required to disclose. As a homeowner, you know, big issues are, you know, and it kind of falls back to that due diligence is not knowing what you can and cannot do with the property, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're in an HOA, you need to be aware because these HOAs have rules and restrictions, right? A lot of them have really old documents, really old deed restrictions that say things like, you know, you can only use this for uh, residential purposes, right? And then you have people who try and and lease the property out for short-term rentals like BRBO or Airbnb, right? In Texas, these deed restrictions need to be very, very specific on what you can or cannot do because you'll see people say, well, You know, I rented out my home as an Airbnb and then I got a cease and desist letter from my HOA saying I can't do that. And, you know, whether you can or cannot depends upon the language and the deed restrictions, Mm -hmm. right? Because it needs to be very, very specific. Saying that this can be used for residential purposes only isn't enough to stop a a VRBO short-term rental. It needs to say, you know, they cannot be leased for less than 90 days or something like that. It needs to be very specific.
1: specific. That's why I laugh. At their contract, and I'm going to go back to that when a realtor puts in I'm on a real estate contract in that uh, objections for residential use only. Yeah, because it's not specific enough.
0: It's not. Yeah, and you know, residential use includes temporary stays, right, and things right. like that. So you just need to be sure that you're you're aware of what the restrictions are and what they actually say. Because um, we we even have, you know, like HOAs think that just saying residential use is enough to stop it when it's not, right? The state of Texas has a Supreme Court case that says that. But I I, I do want to say that when it comes to homeowners and rentals, you know, things like, you know, whether, whether you're doing short-term rental, long-term rental, being a landlord creates its own liabilities, right? It creates its own duties mm-hmm. responsibilities to the renters, to the leasers. So, you know, Things like having the property owned by an LLC instead of you individually can help create some, you know, liability protection, right? If someone's injured on the property or something happens at the property, you know, as opposed to being individually liable for it, if, you, if the property's owned by an LLC or some other type of, of business, it can help insulate the, you know, individual from liability associated with these rentings, right, as they mm-hmm. would So, you know, things like that, you just want to be aware of if you're doing things with your property that invites other people on it, that, you know, you understand the, the obligations to those parties.
1: So have you seen any city um, drafted litigation against a homeowner in the short-term rental front when maybe someone, let, let's say, and this one happened probably in Austin, but Austin has a rental, short-term rental registration process, you don't do it. The city will come, you know, basically after you saying you need to register. There was a big case. I need to send it to you. Out in like Jonestown or Valente where it was a discriminatory case where they said that they couldn't get it or whatever. But m- what I'm trying to get at is where, let's say the, I guess it wasn't clear definition of what the homeowner had to do. And the city says, no, you can't do it because all of these homeowners have been complaining about you and or maybe they they did get registered, but you know the city takes away their license, and they're still doing it, right? They're yeah. still short term renting it. Have you seen any anything big i or just violating an ordinance period? I mean, just I think that's become that's becoming more popular as more people have you know rules and are allowed to do this.
0: So I've seen I've I haven't seen that with residential properties or short term leasings. I've seen a lot of city code violations with commercial properties. Yeah, but it, it all falls back to the deed restrictions, right? People buy these properties not aware that they're limited in what they can do, so they think they can do anything. You know, whether it's a certain type of business or you know things like that, they go ahead buy the property and then you get a cease and demand. Excuse me, cease and desist from the city saying you cannot do this here. Um, and then, you know, you're in a really sad spot right there because you spent all this money buy this property, probably have made improvements to it only to find out that your intended purpose is, is Mm non-achievable. And you know, the city has a lot of power and it is not an easy task to sue the city. And, and it's, it's just a a bad situation to be in. So due diligence is very, very important. Now, obviously if if the seller does something like lies to you, fails to disclose, then you have, you know, you have some claims against them that can help you out of that hole, but you know, otherwise it falls on you to do that due diligence. And I can't tell you how many times we have seen commercial property owners coming to us with cease and desist demand letters from the city because they did some stuff that's that's not allowed to be, be mm-hmm. done on their property. But no, I, I would say here, because I don't I don't know if Houston has a, you know, like a registered ordinance. city. Yeah. I don't I don't know if we have that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean the coastal properties have an ordinance. You know, a lot of the um like you know,
0: Galveston or
1: yeah Galveston, South Padre, Corpus, you which, know. which makes sense,
0: right? Because things like that is. <clears> short term.
1: Fredericksburg has a really big one. Yeah. Houston has a big one.
0: you know the 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 vacation places
1: the vacation the places you want to go on vacation, yeah, right? you,
0: people come to Houston to work.
1: Yeah, I remember. you come to Houston to work or go to professional sports like right? it, yeah. or you the know. mall <laughs> the gallery. But, yeah, exactly. Um, Is there anything additional we didn't talk about that you think that people just miss?
0: um, I I just think, you know, purchasing property, selling property, it's exciting, right? Big, big money's exchanged. And, you know, I I think that excitement and also, you know, of course, there's stress associated with it.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And I think
0: the combination of the excitement and the stress, you know, it just makes people act funny. Right. There's big emotions. Mm -hmm. High, high emotions. And sometimes those things can get in the way of, of doing things like making sure you understand that you read the documents, you read the restrictions, that you know what's happening, you know your deadlines. And these are things that are easy to avoid so long as you're paying attention, right? You don't want to, you know, like half, 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 but what you're supposed to do. You know, you don't want to just kind of gloss over stuff. You want to make sure that you're well aware of what's happening. You're engaged, you're involved, whether or not you have a a real estate agent or legal expert, you know, you just want to make sure that you understand that you're aware, you know, your duties and obligations to the other side. You're aware of what their obligations and duties are to you and that you know what you can and can't do with your property. Because I cannot tell you, you do not want to find yourself in a spot where it's, you know, you made a mistake, you did something you weren't allowed to do, and then you have to to try and make it right, whether that's tear something down or get a variance from the HOA or the city. I mean, these things can cost a lot more money than they would on the front end if you had just paid attention, did your due diligence, or if you just disclosed the facts as you know.
1: I agree. And I think that it takes me to some of my closing remarks. I think I'm just going to piggyback on some of the stuff you said, because I was thinking earlier, what would you say, you know, and I'm, I think you would say read And make sure you fully comprehend what you read and any document, your contract, your title commitment, your HOA, it doesn't matter what you're reading and that's presented to you in a transaction for starters. And then hire a trusted professional who will not like encourage those rash decisions. I know we're going to have those market rash times, right? But those are those are rare we have them and that they'll educate you along the way and then disclose, 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 disclose effort for days.
0: If you're questioning whether or not to disclose something, disclose it, right? Just
1: Mm -hmm. just
0: do it, protect yourself. Don't, don't cause an issue for yourself later down the road. And, and I would say if you're, if you think, you know, you read these documents, you think you understand it, but if you have a question about anything, even if, you know, like I said, even if you think you understand it, Get get a second opinion. Get some advice. Get some help because you you just want to make sure that you're clear and understand right. And Mm -hmm. a slight understanding is not the same as a full understanding. No,
1: you need to marry. I call it. You need to marry it. You don't need to go on a date with it. (laughs) No, so need to know it. You need to know it. (laughs) So, Walker, I'd like to thank you for your time and everything you've said today. All your insights regarding um, those mistakes that you've seen people make. And when it comes to buying and selling real estate and just being a homeowner, so yeah, thank you for your, everyth- your contribution, and I think to everything. Uh, everything you've said is going to be enlightening for all of our listeners.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I, I appreciate it. this was exciting. This was a lot of fun. I, I, I just want to say again, you know don't take this as legal advice. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're in the process of selling or buying, or if you're a homeowner with questions or concerns, contact us. A professional, a real estate agent or a legal, a legal expert to, to help you out, to help you understand what's going on. Each of these situations is different and unique, just like the property itself. So seek, seek help.
1: I will. And I will say that I will kind of, Peggy, I will go a little bit further than that and say, your real estate professional, unless they're an attorney, should not give you legal advice or tax advice. They should say you need to talk to a legal professional or a tax professional. They can talk to you about contractual questions and about transactional questions, but when it comes to legal advice, they need to refer you up. Make sure whoever you're working with has an arsenal of people because you you may need to have that conversation with somebody. So if you should have a legal need um, or legal question regarding a contract or... Know, um, if you're buying or selling, you know, if you want to reach out to Walker after listening to this episode, his contact information will be left in the show notes and you can get it from there. So I'd like to express my grat- sincere gratitude for all of our listeners, whether you're listening to us from the comfort of your home or on the go. I hope today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful you consider considered to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Your support helps us reach a wider audience and grow the Urban Connect community. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, feel free to contact me directly at Jennifer at Podcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback. And I'm always open to... Um, to hearing your thoughts and suggestions until next time i'm jennifer shambo and i look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of urban connect